Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You are listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you would have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with your sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities, and then to align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today is Jonathan Farrington, and Jonathan joins us because of an article he wrote that caught my attention that basically said that by 2020, which is not too far in the future here, that 80% of the sales force will basically be gone. And uh, that caught my attention, given the the focus of this program and the focus of my work. So, so Jonathan, uh, pretty bold statement coming from the fact that in in eight years from now that 80% of the people potentially listening to this program may not have a job. Well, I think I think the first thing to 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 you know, state categorically is that um, that statement was originally made by Gerhard Schwarzner at a Sales 2.0 conference about 18 months ago, and um, the, the content of his statement was was effectively there are 18 point something million salespeople in North America, um, and by the year 2020, 80% of them will have gone. Um, now, I, obviously, you know, many commentators within the sales space, and myself included, you know, have, have sort of sat down and thought this through fairly thoroughly. And the reality is that actually, by and large, I agree with what he said. I, I, I mean, clearly, there are, actually aren't 18 million salespeople in North America at the moment. The figure's only about 13 million. But what he was doing, he was using Pareto, he was using 80-20, and he is suggesting... Uh, that eighty percent are going to go now here's my here's my view about it. I believe that eighty percent of sales positions are actually either going to disappear or the role is going to change considerably we're already seeing this transition now uh, where we're seeing dramatic growth is in inside sales positions. There are more inside sales positions going at the moment that are vacant than there are salespeople to fill them. So we're witnessing this massive transition from outside sales to inside sales. But then right at the top, the 20% that Gerhard was talking about, which I accept, will remain outside, but actually it will be the creme de la creme. They will be consultative or collaborative or strategic or whatever modernism statement or title you'd like to give them. So, so, the, so, so, so in reality, you know, 80% of sales positions are either going to disappear or go inside. And, you know, I'm very happy to discuss the reasons for that and why it's already happening. So it, it, it may not be the fact that the, the sales profession is, is dying off as much as it is shifting. Yes. But, I mean, I, th- I think we have to realize that, you know, during the past three years, as a direct result of the financial meltdown, which was probably the worst in history, a lot of companies use that as a reason, and, and quite often because they had to, to shift out the dead wood 
and an awful lot of sales positions became redundant. Actually, they haven't been replaced because companies have realized now that they can actually do without them. Um, and so they've either moved their sales force inside, which is obviously far less expensive for a number of reasons, or they just, uh, they just haven't replaced. So already we're seeing, you know, the removal of a whole layer of sales positions. So what has happened that, is a, that we can actually do this and be successful transitioning to inside sales and cutting down on the face-to-face sales calls? Well, I, there are a number of reasons, single biggest reason why. Um, there is such a shift, and because uh, you know, and, and, and w- which means that products have actually been com- become commoditized. And if you if you're going to ask me, well, you know, what constitutes a commodity sale? The simple answer to that is anything that can be bought with a credit card. Um, so the first reason is is advances in technology, the arrival of the internet, and I think you know the the, the other important uh, aspect. Uh, to, to remind ourselves about is that customers today are so much more educated, whereas, you know, in five years ago they would re- rely on and probably agree that they needed a sales, a frontline sales pro- professional to educate them in terms, of the, uh, in terms of the goods or the solution or the product or the service. They no longer need that because they're going online they're getting all the information they need, and then they're coming into the buying or selling cycle, depending on which side of the fence you're sitting on. So much later, they're, they're arriving 80% later, and and you know, so, so they're not reliant on us for advice, except at the very top end. Why is sales going inside? Well, it's actually it's down to economics. You see, selling time is becoming limited, and it's becoming more and more limited. Even the most effective salesperson working in a reasonably sized territory can only manage about two face-to-face meetings a day. Whereas, once transitioned inside using the latest technology, video conferencing, etc., it's very possible and very viable uh, to conduct five, six, seven, or even eight meetings a day and get just as much out of them. Now, you know, think about that in economic terms. You know, the latest figures suggest from ASTD that getting one salesperson in front of one customer for one 40-minute meeting costs $1,500. Well, you then think about a typical sales cycle, you know, a, a complex sales cycle. You probably have eight or ten meetings, and it isn't just one salesperson. You've probably got technical support along there. You know, you may have an entire team getting out of the office, onto the road, even onto an aeroplane, eight or ten times to close one piece of business. Um, and yet, if you can do the majority of that internally, your cost of sale is decreasing dr- dramatically. It really is. And as a consequence, your gross margins are increasing substantially. Jonathan, the company I was working with in North Carolina, it would traditionally be a, a local or at best a regional company, uh, meaning that um, traditionally these companies could only sell locally because they could uh, field a sales staff locally or at best regionally, and the way they got regional was to put up in their warehouse. Yep. 
In 2006, they launched a website, brought in an inside sales team, has now grown to two sales teams and six websites, and they're selling in the uh, contiguous 48 states here in the United States. Uh, and, and so they completely turned this model around in this industry, which was local, and now they're able to sell uh, basically coast to coast. Ran into another company the other day, and they said, um, you know, we just quit fighting people, and we launched two websites under two different names, and even our best customers are buying from us. They just don't know they're buying from us, and we've generated, you know, X amount of dollars off these websites in sales. Mm-hmm. It's almost a separate company. Yeah. But when I talk to these companies, they're almost like they're surprised, A, that it's working. They reluctantly got into it. And and it's, uh, it's almost, almost been by accident. So there seems to be either a resistance to move this direction or unfamiliarity that it actually will work. So why hasn't companies just ran in this direction and said, gosh, based on the economics and based on the fact we can reach a lot more people, we will just allocate resources in this direction and go? Well, I, I think you probably know the answer to that question. It's because you know, anybody that's any age... Um, we've always been educated to believe that selling is a face-to-face phenomenon. We were always told from a very early age, people buy people first. And that, of course, was true until the Internet came along. But, you know, yeah, I alluded to, 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 to all this latest technology, and, you know, my company has been at the vanguard of Internet learning, uh, online training, coaching, mentoring. I can sit in my study in Paris Um, And I can speak to probably five or six clients a day, um, and they can be on different continents. Now, you know, I I mean, it just makes sense for me. It makes sense for my clients. But it is really, it's a question of educating, um, and and it's it's getting people to change that mindset. But it will be driven by the customer. There's no doubt about that. Because today's, you know, to to quote Jill Conrad, um, today's customers are, you know, busy and they're frazzled and they don't have time for, you know, less than meaningful dialogue. Um, and they can get that from other companies who are transitioning online. But I do want to say this, and this is important. We should not assume, and we cannot assume, that if we take our sales inside, if we, if we transition our sales teams inside, they will automatically have the skills they need to be successful. Okay, first of all, if you've been used, as you, know, you suggested, as your friend had been, you suggested earlier on, had been used to sort of being an outside rep, pressing the flesh, bag carrying, meeting customers day in, day out, to transition inside, that probably would have taken him quite a lot of time and effort to get used to this new style of selling inside. Equally, what we've been used to in the past is that our inside sales team have been using that, that position as a stepping stone in order to achieve their primary ambition in life, which was to be an outside sales rep, okay, with a flash company car, an expense account, and getting out there and calling themselves a real sales professional. Because inside sales were used, really used for cold calling, for customer support, for sales team support, etc. It's all changing. Inside sales teams now are having to embrace a whole new, more sophisticated set of skills because they're not only just finding the opportunity for the main sales team now, they're actually finding the opportunity, they're qualifying it, 
they're making online presentations, they're negotiating, they're closing, and then they're developing the account. These are all brand new skills that are going to be needed by inside sales professionals in the coming years. So as we look for these people to staff our departments, what particular skills uh, are we looking for for these inside sales professionals? Well, effectively, what we're looking for is, is the same skills that we look for in our external salespeople, you know, in, in, the, in the recent past. Those are the skills that are going to be required. You know, and, and it was very unusual not so long ago for sales professionals to have MBAs, to have degrees, you know, to be smart. I mean, and I'm in no way denigrating the inside sales profession of the past. But generally, inside sales professionals were either past their best, they'd reached the end of their shelf life, so they'd moved inside because they didn't have the energy to operate outside, or they were young, they were coming up, you know, and, and they were learning the skills and learning the trade before being allowed out. That's what it used to be like. It's all turned completely on its head. Um, and, you know, and we've got to accept that. How important is it as a sales professional today, whether you're outside or inside, the use of social media? Oh, absolutely vital. Um, but I want to add a caveat. Um, and I've said this uh, on numerous occasions recently in, in my blog. You see, there's a great danger. It's a bit like a kid in a sweet shop, isn't it? Going in and seeing all these wonderful sweeties and not knowing which one to have. And so as a consequence, filling your bag with everything. And that's kind of what a lot of sales professionals are doing. Oh, Twitter's the thing. I'd better get over there. And I, I really ought to get my profile up on LinkedIn. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I've got my Facebook page. If you're serious about yourself and you're serious about your business, that isn't the way you approach it. The first thing you do is ask yourself this question. Where are my prospects and clients and customers likely to hang out? Because that's where I need to be. I need to be connecting with them if possible. I need to be visible to them. I need to be around. And you can't do that, you know, if you attempt to blanket cover you know, use this elephant gun for social media and, and try to be everywhere all the time. I think that's the first point I'd make. The second point I'd make is that social media is superb. It's fantastic, and we, we must embrace it. And indeed, you know, I mean, many of us embraced it many years ago. But it's not the be-all and end-all. Social media is only one weapon in our overall sales armory. If we sit, in, sit behind a computer all day just attempting to connect with people and using that as our only means of reaching our marketplace, we will fail badly. So what should we be doing in addition to that then? Well, let's, you know, let's not, under any circumstances, dismiss more traditional methods of reaching our marketplace. How many commentators have you heard recently say, cold calling is dead, it doesn't work? It's mind-numbing. Actually, when cold calling is done properly and, and, and people and salespeople are trained properly to cold call, it is still one of the most effective methods of reaching a, a, you know, a, a warm or cold marketplace, um, and, and we shouldn't dismiss it. And it's just, again, it's just another weapon in our armory. It's like referral selling. Referral selling is the strongest form of sale and the most comfortable form of sale 
one could ever make for all the reasons that we all understand. But again, it's only one method. Email marketing. A lot of people say that, oh, well, you know, in days gone by, 80% of my emails were opened, and now I'm lucky if I get an open rate of 8 or 10%, and even then I might be being optimistic. But actually, that, that's just not the case at all. The properly crafted professional email, you know, with a, with a, with, with, with a, a, a really stunning header, still gets read. If it answers or if it suggests that we, as sellers, are able to do one of five things, and those five magic words in emails, which I will share with you, are save, gain, increase, reduce, and improve. And if we can prove that our product, our solution, or our service can do one of those five things, people open emails. I want to go back to an earlier comment you made about um, educated buyers coming into the sales cycle or process later. What have they gotten out of the way before they get to the salesperson? Well, they've made a decision that they either have a need or want. They've made that decision themselves. And once, once, once it's made, they then go about discovering how they can buy it, where they can buy it, at what price they can buy it, what the product or solution or service will do for them. So actually, they don't need selling to. That's the whole point. So they're arriving up the food chain at the point when they're ready to make a decision. So in other words, all of those sort of, you know, pre-sales qualification issues that used to get in the way, like budget, uh, are all the decision makers on board, is it time to buy, etc., have all been taken care of because the buyer has made all those decisions and is now ready to buy. So we can say that, you know, it, we, we could say that, that the typical buyer having more knowledge might be, an, might be perceived as a negative for a seller, but actually, there are positives, because it means that when they, they are contacting us, they're ready to buy. What we've got to do then, we've got to work hard to prove that we are the person or the company to buy from. So, if, if you will, the, the playing field has never, ever been more level. Now, we could be excused for thinking, well, if, if they've done all that work and they're arriving 80% up the, up the food chain, then surely all they're interested in is lowest price, isn't it? Nothing could be further from the truth. It's my conviction and it's my belief that uh, buyers today value service, longevity of relationship, and quality more than ever before. Absolutely. Because? Well, because it costs an awful lot to replace suppliers. And, you know, so many companies, so many buying companies saw their, saw their selling companies disappear over the last four to five years due to the economic meltdown, you know, that the costs of changing supplier are considerable. And, you know, I, I read a survey even this morning, and it's, it stated categorically that 56% of buyers, when making a decision, will base it on the quality of, the, of service and the quality of the sale and the salesperson and the company at that first sale. 
And the reason that they're looking, the reason that they're looking for um, a longer-term relationship and a partnership, if you will, if, if, if they're in the market for repeat business, is because they've been let down so badly in the past. And um, the way I can describe that to you is this. You will remember, probably, uh, I'm sure, and, and so will the other listeners, when we were young, we would meet a girl and we would say, okay, you know, uh, can, can we have a date? Yep, we can have a date. So we arranged to meet. What do we do? We take them to the best restaurant we can possibly afford, okay? Afterwards, we probably send them flowers. When they get out of the car, we open the door. We're incredibly attentive. But then, as soon as we think in our minds that they're on board and they're as keen as we are, our enthusiasm tends to wane a little. The flowers stop coming on a weekly basis. We don't open the door anymore. The expensive restaurants are replaced by burger bars. And that's kind of the way it works with commercial relationships too. If you think about how much money organizations spend at the front end, at the foreplay stage, in order to win the business, compared with how much money, time, um, and effort they put in to retain the relationship, it really is quite appalling. And customers have become used to that. Um, and whilst, whilst their interest increases because they're very happy with the product or the solution or the service, and they want more, and they want to stay with you, you know, our interest as sellers, sadly, declines. And that's where we have a huge expectation gap. You wrote in one of your blogs the shift that's going on in, in sales and how the top 5% of the sales producers will still be around um, because there'll still be a need for them. And you mentioned some things they could be doing, such as becoming a subject matter expert, being up-to-date on industry news, uh, be ready to exchange information. And when, and I, when I read those things, uh, what flashes into my mind is, are, are we, in your opinion, are we seeing sort of a convergence between what I would call marketing and sales? In other words, where our sales professionals need to be able to market some of their subject matter expert information, either to their current customers or to current prospects, and build awareness that they do know these things prior to the phone call coming in? Uh, well, the simple answer to that question is yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad we had that clear. <laughs> so, I mean, you must be delighted you didn't get the complicated answer. Right. <laughs> um, no, the reality is, of course, salespeople have got to become much more aware of marketing terms, aware of marketing techniques. But essentially, it's always been my belief, and it remains my belief to this day, that, that marketing's primary aim, um, and it's even more important today, these people, the marketing teams, marketing functions, have become even more important than ever with the arrival of social media, sales 2.0, et cetera, et cetera. But their primary function has got to be to support the sales team. The sales team are the forward line. You know, it's in any business, the sales team of the forward line, nothing is going to happen until we sell something or the term I prefer, until somebody buys something. Because, you know, all those expensive accounting systems and, and all the, you know, the pointy heads in technical support and all the grey men in the, in the accounting divisions actually won't have a job if the sales team don't sell anything. It's as simple as that. Why do I believe that the top 5% will remain? Quite simply because they're there already. There will be less of them. We've talked about 20%. That will erode by 2020 to probably the top 5% achievers. Um, and, and these people have got, you know, highly developed skills. 
they're not sales professionals as such. Neither, I ought to add, do they need MBAs as such. But they've got much broader commercial bandwidth. They're able to talk about all the relevant subjects of the day that affect a company. They're able to see the customer's business from their point of view. They can work their way around a balance sheet and an annual report. They can hold discussions and, and be comfortable in dialogue with sea lounge residents about most topics. And as a consequence, they're interesting. They're not just there to get an order. They're there to bring knowledge, to be interesting. And the key word is knowledge. You see, because, you know, when you say to people at the moment, or certainly in, in, in the recent past, you know, you talk about knowledge, you, they immediately go, oh, yeah, product knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know all there is to know about my products. Well, rah, rah to that. I mean, the bad news is, you know, your prospects and your customers actually are not going to be interested in everything you know about your products and your solutions. They're only, they're only interested in what is relevant to them. And actually, they're not interested today in you, your products, your services, or, or your solutions. What they are interested in is what you and your products, your solutions, and services can do for them. And that's, you know, that's the key word, relevance. So when we talk about knowledge, it's no point in talking about product knowledge. We've got to have industry knowledge. We've got to have market sector knowledge. We've got to have own company knowledge. We've got to have knowledge about ourselves. You know, we've got to have knowledge about the economy. Knowledge isn't, you know, just a word anymore. It, it is going to become the word. Given people's hectic schedules, what advice are you giving sales professionals to stay ahead of the trend do not become part of the 80% that may go away so they can be successful at what they're doing? Well, the first thing is that I, I believe that every, every sales professional on the planet who's serious about becoming successful has, has, has got to take full responsibility for developing themselves. I mean, we understand. I mean, we particularly, we sales commentators and sales coaches and mentors understand that sales budgets have been decimated. Um, you know, companies like IBM and Hewlett-Packard, who once upon a time, you know, would spend two years training salespeople before they let them loose on an unsuspecting public. You, those people are very, those companies are very, really are providing probably two or three weeks training now. Um, so I think all sales professionals everywhere have to work to the mantra, if it's to be, it's up to me. There is so much resource out there now. There are so many superb sites to go to, to join in webinars, to join in online debates, to read articles, books, e-books. It's never been a better time to be a sales professional. And, you know, while people are talking about doom and gloom and so, you know, such a high percentage of sales positions being lost, the good people won't go. The good people are like gold dust, believe me. There isn't a company on this planet, I don't think, that would hire immediately, even if they didn't have budget, they'd find it, somebody very, very special. And that's the secret. Be different. Develop yourself. Listen. Get mentored. You know, and, and focus. Uh, most important of all, have a plan of where you want to get to. So visualize where you want to get to, by when. Think about the obstacles in your way, how you're going to remove them, and just Take full responsibility and accept that you are actually the CEO of your own universe and work to that mantra. I saw one of your websites, which was Top Sales Management. Uh -huh. Very good, by the way. Thank you. If they want to stay relevant, if they want to 
produce predictable revenues? If they want to stay successful, what advice do you giving them today? Almost the same advice. Almost. This is the reality. 83%, according to HR Charlie, 83% of salespeople arrive in that position because they were the top performing salesperson when the vacancy arose. But 86% of sales managers who arrive in those circumstances fail within two years. And the main reason for that is because, because they believed that sales management was the pinnacle of their career. Okay, they've now got additional status. They've now probably got a more expensive car. They've probably got a higher basic salary. Actually, the reality is overall, the overall package won't be as much. They won't be earning as much money. And the big problem, of course, is instead of only relying on themselves for their success, they're now relying on a team. So it's a huge, huge difference. It's not entirely their fault. It's because most companies think that if, if, if someone's a great salesperson, then they must be able to train and develop and coach salespeople and become a manager. And, of course, that's an absolute fallacy. It just, it just isn't that way. 98% of all problems in any sales team that you will encounter anywhere in the world right now, the finger will point back to the sales manager. After all, the sales manager has, will have a say in recruiting the salesperson and have a, 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 certainly a big say in coaching them, counseling them, mentoring them, setting their targets, and developing them. If that salesperson fails, actually the sales manager has failed too. So it's all a question of accepting responsibility. And it's just so, so important not to think, oh, okay, that's it. I'm a sales manager. Whoopee. That, let me tell you, the day that happens, you're facing your biggest challenge you've ever faced in your sales career. So focus, accept all the advice you can possibly get, and seek out all the information you could possibly find, which, again, yeah, not just top sales management. There are some superb sites out there offering sales management development. Did you, I mean, you, you, probably, you probably realize this, that you know, when we look at training budgets globally, the, the, the one area of, of the sales space that is, 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 is virtually ignored in terms of ongoing development are, is sales management. Companies just are not spending man, money on developing their sales managers, which is incredible. It's like, it's like shining the outside of your car and polishing your wheels and cleaning your upholstery and completely ignoring your engine. Why would you do that? Yeah, and it's, it's been going on for years. I, I've mm. never been able to figure that one out. <laughs> sure, sure. It's, I, I said that there's a difference between generating revenue, which is what a salesperson does, mm. and driving revenue, which is a sales manager does. Yeah. And usually people come from the generating side to go to the driving side, but they aren't given the skills to learn how to make the switch. I mean, That's correct. If you survive, yeah. you know, you've learned it accidentally. All right. Yeah. A gentleman made a comment to me a couple of years ago that stuck with me. He's in the heavy equipment business and mm-hmm. uh, selling, can, you know, graders and bulldozers and stuff. And he said, it used to be, he says, when I got in this business, you'd go to the factory and you'd spend a month at that factory, two weeks of sales training, two weeks or a week of product training, a week in, out on the factory floor, and you come back and you're ready to go. And he said, they just don't do that anymore or at best, they do some semblance of online learning, which is pretty anemic. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other, that, that has stuck with me. That, so that has gone away in that industry. At the same time, uh, and I alluded to it earlier in this program, that um, some of the 
older, tenured salespeople who are still good and viable and have something to offer aren't getting looks, but they have all the experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been there and done that. And I'm starting to see this gap as, as, as the population ages and as some of the senior salespeople start to um, retire, that there aren't people coming behind them. There's really no farm team. That, that I see coming there. And, and companies, are, I think, are getting glimpses of this because they keep coming to us and say, find me that experienced salesperson. I say, well, they're <laughs> you know, a little tough to find these days. Do you see in, in, in the work that you do uh, this gap that's probably going to need to be filled that you're, we're going to have to go back and train the next generation of salespeople, probably more so than we had to do probably in the last 20 years? I don't think we should be too surprised that we're losing that, that sort of middle-aged salesperson. It's simply, I mean, yes, there is a question of economics because, you know, a man of 45 who probably, as an example, who probably still has children at home, has still got a mortgage, um, you know, it requires a certain level of salary, whereas somebody that's just left university college, 21, 22, young and hungry, still living at home maybe, or certainly got his first flat or her flat, you know, their costs are nowhere near as high. Um, and so they can, you know, they, they can take these roles. And, and yes, I know the argument is, well, you know, but, but, but the guy of 45 has got 25 years' experience. And, and I, you know what I always say? Well, do they, do, do all of them have 25 years' experience, or have they got one year's experience 25 times? You know, and, and that is so often the case. I've had people come up to me, um, you know, when I've been with clients. Uh, I can remember one chap came up to me and he said, Jonathan, I just wanted to tell you, you know, I, I've been selling for 35 years. And I said, well, that's, that's great, you know. And he said, so, I, I mean, you know, is, is, is all of this consultancy that you're doing going to be relevant to me? And I said, well, I very much hope so. You know, and I said to him, yeah, have you been selling well, you know. Um, and uh, so he said, yeah, but, you know, I'm going to be retired in 10 years. So I said, okay, so what do we do? Do we write 10 years of your life off? So, you know, I use that to illustrate that sometimes the people in the middle ground, you know, once people get to 40, we've almost got the same problem that we have with managers. You know, are they still prepared to learn? Are they prepared to, are they prepared to adapt? Or, you know, do they think, well, you know, I've been doing okay for 25 years. You know, well, do, do I need to change? Do I need to learn new things? And the answer is yes, more than ever. There are more changes taking place in, in the sales space in the last five years than there have in the previous hundred. And, if, you know, if, 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 if we don't have an open mind and we're not prepared to adapt, which usually younger people do, then we, we really are going to be confined to the annals of history, and we may as well pack up and go home. So it still comes down to that, that individual, the individual yeah. that's willing to... Absolutely. I, I, don't, I, I do accept what you say, and we do have that in Europe. We do have an ages, ageism problem, you know, but, but I do sometimes wonder if that's used as an excuse, and actually it's yeah. all down to economics, pure economics. Um, but, you know, I, the reality is it's down to the individual. I mean, if Guy walked into my office tomorrow that was 60, um, and he absolutely wowed me and said, look, you know, this is what I can make you over a 12-month period, and, and I believed him, and I checked his track record out, and, and yeah, I would hire him instantly. It would have nothing to do with age. I would never look at someone and go, oh, yeah, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can get somebody younger. No, it's down to the individual. Last question. Is mm. there 
One question today I should have asked you that I haven't? <laughs> Is there one question you should have asked me that you haven't? Um, well, we've discussed where I believe the future of the sales space is going. I, I will say this. I believe that companies, all companies everywhere, who are either currently investing or contemplating investing in developing their sales teams, which they jolly well should be, because, you know, it's been proved over and over and over again, not by the statistics companies, not just by the HR challenges and sales indexes and, you know, ASTD, that... You know, for every dollar spent wisely creates $10 of profit on a salesperson's ongoing development. You know, there is this huge belief that's still, that, that, that's still maintained in many industries that, you know, you put salespeople on a training course once and then they should be qualified to sell for life. I mean, it's the biggest nonsense I've ever heard in my life. Training and development, I mean, methods are changing, everything's changing. The one constant we can rely on is change. So, we, you know, little and often is my mantra for sales team development. But I will say this. I, I would like to see companies taking greater responsibility for the development of their sales teams rather than abdicating it to training companies who, broadly speaking, and I'm afraid I'll use Pareto again, 80-20, it's my belief, 80% of training companies today merely peddle the products and the solutions that they have themselves, and then they try and dovetail them into the client's requirements. And as a consequence, I think millions of dollars are wasted every year on irrelevant training and development um, because, you know, quite often people are being given training that they neither need nor want or ever likely to need. So, you know, my advice is whatever you do, if you, before you spend a next single dollar, think about accepting full responsibility, A, B, for goodness sake, take a diagnostic approach to developing your sales team and see you can save yourself so many dollars now by working with forward-thinking training and development companies who are prepared to work online, so to offer short, sharp, little and often sessions over longer periods to make sure that all the messages sink in. It's convenient. There's no expensive hotel costs. You're not taking whole sales teams offline all the time. The future of sales team development is online. And one of my new favorite quotes that I have sitting in front of my computer in my office, it said, an investment in a salesperson is an investment in your future revenues. Uh, absolutely. That is absolutely spot on. It really is. And I will just, I mean, you know, you've been very kind um, today um, and allowing me to um, share my, <laughs> my considered opinions. Um, we're launching a new consultancy on June the 12th, Jonathan Farrington and Associates. Yes, I different. saw that. Uh, I saw it online. Yeah. Uh, yep. Now, now, it's going to be different. I, I mentioned a few minutes ago that most training companies try and dovetail their um, products and solutions to meet the customer's requirements, which leaves, often leaves it very thin. We're doing something very different. Um, the Associates are 12 people that I've been working with for the last five or six years. They're the very, very best in their particular field. So, for example, in cold calling, we have Wendy White in referral selling. We have John Black. Corporate selling, we've got um, Jill Conrad, and so on and so on and so on. What we're hoping to do is to bring the very best people together to take to a global marketplace um, and deliver world-class solutions rather than making do. And 90% uh, of our work will be online. 
um, and um, our new program is called 2020. And you're going to say to me, why is it called 2020, Jonathan? Well, <laughs> well 20, 2020 is perfect vision, but you mentioned that magical date right at the front of our conversation, 2020. By 2020, this is going to happen. Well, this is what we're working towards, and we want to deliver the most futuristic sales training programs that you know we can um, because we want to. Um, so very excited about that. If people wanted to um, learn more about um, your thoughts, your insights, uh, where would they go, Jonathan? Well, I guess, I mean, you've mentioned my blog. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a really old-timer blogger now. You know, I'm coming up to six years and nearly 1,500 posts. Um, and it's where um, most of my friends and chums and colleagues and, you know, followers go every day. And, but the, the address is a bit of a mouthful, I'm afraid. Um, it's www.thejf, my initials, blogit.co.uk. But I guess, you know, to, to all of our sites, you know, including all the work that we're doing with Top Sales Associates, you mentioned Top Sales Management, and, of course, we've got Top Sales, um, Top Sales World and Top Sales Awards. That's all over at topsalesassociates.com. But I guess the easiest thing, and, and I really hope this doesn't sound arrogant, because it's the sort of thing I say to people at cocktail parties if I want to go, if I want them to go away, and they come up and they say, "Oh, hi, how are you?" And you think, "Hmm, this is a particularly boring person." And they say, "What do you do?" And I say, "Well, if you want to find out more about me, just Google my name." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I say this in all due modesty because some of those um, some of those URL addresses are slightly complicated. If anybody is keen on getting in contact, and it's always great to hear from anyone. I'm always available for advice. Just Google Jonathan Farrington, and you know, you're, you're bound to find all the things we're up, all the mischief we're up to there. There you go. Jonathan, it's been a pleasure. It's been my pleasure, too, and thank, thank you so much for inviting me. This or other BizTalk podcasts may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. You can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies and how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net.